Welcome to OOO, Out of Office, a La Vie travel podcast, where we chat all things travel and travel planning to help you best optimize your precious PTO. I'm your own personal vacation planning bestie, Capricorn and podcast host, Madison Mazio. I'm a travel-obsessed travel agent chatting with everyday travelers to uncover hidden gems of cities, restaurants, and experiences that you won't find with a simple Google search because life is too short to eat bad food on vacation. Oh my gosh, Jennifer. I was so excited about my new AI podcast editor that does like sound scrubbing and smart cuts and trims it for you. And I think last week's episode was evident that robots are not going to replace humans because there's literally a part where I'm in there and I'm like, oh, I'm going to cut this out. And I didn't cut it. (laughs) AI, you didn't catch that. Come on. (laughs) And the audio was a little rough. So if you listened last week, I appreciate you for staying with us and being patient. We always want to make sure we have crispy, clean audio. I know personally, I will quickly dip out of a podcast if they sound like they're underwater. (laughs) (laughs) It was fine. It was still a good episode. Lots of, lots of insight from AJ. Yeah, AJ gives so many great tips, but also I want to talk about our conversation last week because, oh my goodness, we're going we're gonna to dive right into planes right now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> so first of all, everything we talked about, I have a totally different perspective for, but I'm going to start with my new unlocked pain pet peeve. I had two unlocked pain pet peeves, plain pet peeves. Number one going on a plane without your cell phone. Oh, Madison, you got the brunt of Mercury and retrograde. Like you had the quintessential experience, you poor thing. Oh my goodness. Yes. And number two is flying on a plane hungover. So Yes. So for just so you all know, I'll give you a picture of the story. I was flying home from Chicago. I was visiting one of my best friends and we had such a blast time of our life. One of the nights, the one of the nights being the night before I was going to leave, we partied very hard and I left my phone dead in an Uber and we couldn't get it before I went for my plane. Actually, while I was leaving to the airport, hungover is all hell, trying not to puke in this Uber that she paid for. So if I did puke, <laughs> I would have felt extra bad. I would have, of course, been with her, but I'm like so sick and I'm just praying, doing the St. Anthony prayer my mom sent me. It's Mother's Day. So I'm like emailing my mom, hey, just so you know, I left my phone. <laughs> Your poor mom. Uh, I FaceTimed her in the airport with my MacBook. Thank goodness for the MacBook for getting me through this. So, okay, last week we talked about what kind of seats we like. We're window seat girlies or we'll do an aisle. This is one of those examples where I flew budget. I flew Frontier and it was kind of like a last minute trip. And so it was kind of like gluttonous. And I felt like, you know, I got a good deal on this. I'm, I, I just brought one bag, just like we talked about one bag travel. I didn't have to pay all those fees. And I, I actually feel like I have lucky girl syndrome when it comes to airline seats. I think no matter what I, you know, this, I usually don't have anybody next to me, literally last international two international flights. I had nobody in my row. Like I have total lucky girl syndrome. And so on the way to Chicago, 
I had nobody next to me, even though I didn't pay for an extra seat. And so I was just manifesting it. I was manifesting it on the way back because I was so sick and I didn't have a phone. So I had no music, you know, and yes, I sleep everywhere, but usually you have like something. Side note, Frontier is so budget. Did you know that they charge you $25 to print your boarding pass? What? So they got rid of their kiosks so they can upcharge printing your boarding pass. So of course I needed them to print my boarding pass because I didn't have a freaking phone. And so anyway, so I am like in a middle seat in between two men and both men have their arms on the armrest. And last week I said, I would not like my arm on the armrest anyway. That is a lie. When I'm sick to my stomach, I would have liked to rest my elbows there as I'm clutching my stomach, trying not to vomit. And so do you know what I ended up doing? You all can't see me right now, but basically they have these little tiny tray tables that, that are like, I mean, I'm shocked that they even make you put them up during takeoff and landing because they're so small. And I put my elbows on the train table and held my head in my hands and curled up into the tightest ball I could and fell asleep. (laughs) You went through it. Wow. That's rough. Thank God this wasn't an international flight and it was only what, three hours? (laughs) Well, yeah. So that's my rule, right? Is that if the flight's less than three hours, I don't really care about a seat seat up charge, Um, especially like San Diego flights, like come on, that's 40 minutes from me. If it's international, I will always pay for the upcharge, but oh man, that was, that was rough. Boy, oh boy. But that's a great story for the pod. So that's why that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks universe. Thanks for looking. Just so you know, a shout out to Alyssa, my bestie. She was probably also hungover as all hell. And she got me in the Uber. She tracked down my phone. She shipped it to me. So I will be having my phone soon. But yeah, what a trip. Shout out to Alyssa. Alyssa is mother. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. What about you? Do you have any new plane pet peeves this week? Yeah. Well, since you're uh, not getting the group chat messages because we've got some green bubbles going on, um, I'll let you know what the, the group chat said, our, our college besties said about their plan, uh, plane pet peeves. So yes. the first one was men, just men, men on a plane. <laughs> that was the problem of having men sandwich me. Like, you know, and I'm married to a man, just so you all know, but they, both of them were man spreading. And like, I don't, at that point, I don't want to spread because then I'm going to be touching them. <laughs> so it's valid. It's valid. <laughs> yes. Okay. The second one was using the overhead light when it's lights out time on like an overnight flight. <laughs> if you're using the reading light, like what are your thoughts? Cardinal sin, absolute cardinal sin. You need to bring your own reading light. Not only that, it should be an amber reading light, which is a lot softer. Or if you have to be aggressive, use your phone. But absolutely, you are, I, I can't even tell you how many flights where my pillow princess sleeping self, like I sleep great on planes and didn't sleep great because they have the light and it's like 1 a.m. Yeah, so amber light linked on Maddie's Amazon storefront. Get one. It is. It is. <laughs> okay. So that was that this wasn't brought up, but I want to know, what do you feel about the person in front of you putting their seat back? Okay. This is actually extremely controversial. Uh, you talk about this all the time. I have personally 
never done it. The only exception is if there was a child behind me, especially if they were like kicking my seat. Like at that point, I'm just like, you know what you, this isn't squishing your legs and you're kicking me anyway. I'm going to, you know, stretch out, but I don't, I don't think I've ever done it otherwise. And the reason is, is because my husband is extremely tall and I have watched his knees have dents and bruises after a flight because the person in front of him just like not only leaned back, but like kept going back and forth, which I think is worse. Like if you're going to lean back, yeah, if you're going to lean back, that's one thing, but I don't know. I just feel like I have that empathy and I don't feel like it does much for me. Okay. I don't mind it when people lean back, but I have short legs. So I understand the struggle on the other end. I think the other thing is like, if my, obviously if my tray table's out, that's annoying. I did have it one time where we were getting food on a national flight and I'm like eating and then they decided to lean back right then. That was annoying. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah. I don't think there's anything like, there's nothing wrong with it. I guess it's only my pet peeve. Like since I also have short legs, it's my pet peeve if my husband is the one who's, you know, being slammed into. I feel like if you could feel someone's knees, like, I don't know, that probably doesn't feel good for you either. Totally. Totally. But I I do feel like it's controversial. I think it's like a personal thing. Like I would never do it, but I don't judge people that do it. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's there. It's a function. Yes. Versus the overhead light. That's up there. You're, you're rude. <laughs> rude. Wait. Okay. Also, I'm sorry. We're going through a lot of plain pet peeves right now, but have we talked about when people don't have their headphones in and are playing things? What? I've never had that. They had to tell the, on this flight, this flight from hell, they, the flight attendants had to get on the speaker multiple times and tell them to, if them or their children were playing movies or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, that they needed to plug in their headphones instead of playing it for everybody to hear. Yeah. I mean, there's 200 people around you in very close quarters. Be respectful. That's crazy. That's a cardinal set. That's like the rudest of rude. Like you are so rude. It's just no regard. Yeah. You fly budget, you get budget people. Oh, you sound like my husband. He's he's like been on a anti-frontier kick forever. But listen, you know what? <laughs> I I'm I'm gonna own it. I how can I complain? I can see so many more people thanks to budget airlines. Like less than three hours of suffering is worth it that I got to see my friend from high school. I get to see my friend in Colorado all the time. Another bestie. I get to see my mom all the time. My flight back from San Diego. Did I, I don't know if I told this on the podcast. My flight back from San Diego last week was $18. Wow. Nice. That's less than a tank of gas. What was it? Frontier? Yeah. Frontier. Wow. 40 minutes, 40 minutes of hell. That's it. And then you're done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I get it. No, I get it. Yeah. Though I will say the worst, worst international flight of my life. I talked about it last week when I was really sick and it was a 13 hour from Barcelona. That was on, I think it was Vueling, Vueling, Vueling. <laughs> I don't know. And that was the one where they had like no air conditioning and I was scalding. I also probably had a fever, but that's crazy to not have air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Like I took a photo. I remember taking a photo 
and sending it to Eric. And I also paid for the Wi-Fi and it didn't work, which is like also very common on many flights. But right. I was like trying to like survive because I couldn't sleep because I was so hot and sick. Oh, that's a nightmare. That was a nightmare. We need a private I actually, jet. I, I, you know what? I do need a private jet. Well, we'll get there someday. We talked about it on Gabby's podcast. We'll get there. Yeah. Forget all of this. I don't want to fly with people. I want my own space. I need cashmere seats. Kim K, I need Kim Air. All right, Jennifer. Well, I'm excited for this week's episode. I think you have a lot in common with this guest. I'm stoked. We'll review that next week. Our next guest today is extremely well-traveled. She's lived in Central America, the Middle East, has been an archaeologist at a major world heritage site, and is just one of the coolest people ever. We took forever to even start because we've just been chatting up a storm, so we figured we'd chat a little more on the pod. It is my sister, Jamie Mazio. I guess sister-in-law, but she's my sister. Yeah, I hate that distinction. We keep stumbling over that, huh? It's like... This is my sister. Okay. Yeah. No, not genetically. She's my sister. Yeah. I, I think we rejected the term sister in law, but yeah, yeah it has just... nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the energy. You're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. This is so fun. Thanks for inviting me on. Of course. There's so much to talk to Jamie about. It was really hard to actually pick one topic I think I'm gonna have to have her on like five more times I'm good with it (laughs) yeah but okay so today we're gonna talk about through hiking specifically in Scotland and your experience can you explain a little bit what through hiking is am I even using the right term what makes it unique what is it Okay, so I've stumbled on this one too because there's a few different there's a few different names for it. So in the states that we would call this through hiking, and it might refer to like the Appalachian Trail or my you know my heart's favorite the Arizona Trail. So those are through hiking, and very typically um, you would have a backpacker that's just committed to doing a, you know, a full multi-day, sometimes multi-month trip that's referred to as through hiking. In in the UK, people would say, potentially call saying way hiking. So I've heard Great Glen way hiking or walking holiday is the other term, which I love. I prefer walking holiday because it's just walk like some of it feels like a hike but you're you're out there and you're walking and it's really cool and so what I'm referring to the one I did was the great Glenway that is in Scotland and it actually goes clear across kind of the the skinny part of northern Scotland walks right along Loch Ness which is a highlight and ends at Inverness just shy of 80 miles so 79 miles I'm not going to translate that into kilometers I don't remember I'll use miles uh, but it it, kind of goes so you're going north yeah northeast so you start in the southwest and go northeast but you're in northern Scotland the entire time and you go right along Loch Ness, which I believe is a glacial lake, just like our Finger Lakes back in upstate New York, where I, where Eric and I grew up. So glacial lakes are like long and skinny. And so there were a few of those and there were, there were connecting canals in between, which was really cool as well. So there's a waterway almost the entire way, small towns the entire way. 
and then just beautiful hillsides and forests. You gain some elevation, you come back down. It was just, just a lovely 80 mile walk. It's casual. <laughs> well, that is, so that actually brings a really good segue into my next question, which is how physically challenging is this walk? Cause 80 miles is pretty intimidating on paper, but what kind of fitness level is required to complete a walk like this? Yeah. So, so it really depends how you do it, but we did it. We did it somewhat cushy. So by that, I mean that we paid for portage of our bags from each of our hotels. We went with a a company that booked all of our hotels ahead and did it, did it as a package. And they were right on it with getting our bags exactly where they needed to be. We just left them in the morning. A lot of times there was a pre, you know, a packaged lunch available for us to buy so that we could have our little backpack and maybe our rain gear and then just walk off with no weight on our backs. However, some people do, do fully backpack with all their camping gear, tents. So you could take this as slow or as fast as you might want to go and you can rough it or you can like that, do the lovely accommodations that we had, you know, we stayed at a castle one night. So we took four days to do it. And that is a relatively aggressive itinerary because if you can do that math, it works out to about 20 miles a day. I'm thinking that we must've done a partial day in there because there would have been like a half day. So I remember our longest day was 20 miles and the rest of them shook out a little bit less, but you know, that's, that's a pretty challenging day of walking. So I'm not in like peak fitness back then. I definitely was running, doing some long distance running, but I think pretty much anybody, you know, it's not a breakneck pace to do that in a day, but when you get up the next day, your legs are basically screaming and you're just going to have to kind of like deal with that mentally. I was going to say, and do you just pass straight out at night because I know if I did a I think 12 mile hike recently in Arizona and I slept so hard and I'm already a hard sleeper as we've talked about yeah you know so I think elevation counts for a lot so mm. 12 mile hike in Arizona that I can think of you're probably doing a little bit more intense elevation than this one it I, I we could look and see what the actual elevation change was it didn't seem that intense we definitely had some some hills, got some views, came back down to the, the, basically the water level, you know, it, it wasn't intense that way. So that kind of helps. And what I can say is that like this terrain wise, you're not having to like really pick up your feet as much as you do here in Arizona. <laughs> so significantly less challenging than I would think a 12 mile hike in Arizona would be. We had perfect weather. There would be like um, so we went in September, which is very much a shoulder month. You could get pretty bad weather. We had like gentle rains and <laughs> cloud cover and then some sunny days and it got hot and then it would get a little cold, but nothing that wasn't manageable with just like one extra layer. So it was really lovely. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of accessibility, I think as long as you've done some, you know, some movement training and you, you can kind of keep moving, you know, you have a certain pace, this would be fine for almost anybody. You just need to break it up 
a little bit better than we chose to do. So some people take seven days to do this. I'm sure some people definitely take longer if they're backpacking and they might stay at a campsite for a couple nights before they choose to move on. <laughs> I think the sore legs thing was like, that was the hardest thing getting going in the morning. And then I will say, you know, I'd love to say that we, we completed every step of this thing, but one day our legs were very rough and we stopped for a pint, I think in this, the, the town on, on Luckness. So, you know, it was like Nelly tours and it was very cute, cute, cute little town and such nice pubs in Scotland. I tell you, everybody's so lovely. There's a very nice food to be had, very nice beer to be had, but don't get me started on the whiskey. So we, you know, I think we got very relaxed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And we got hammered. Okay. (laughs) Nope. Just feeling relaxed. We decided that continuing the hike that day seemed like it was going to take a long time and that we could, you know, I think it was just a few more miles back to where we needed to be. And instead of racing dark, you know, we decided to just hop on a bus and it was no big deal. It was public transportation's right there. It's not available through the entire the entire experience along the entire way, but definitely some opportunities to just be in a town, catch a ride if you really need to. That's so good to know. I feel like that's so important for anyone who maybe this sounds lovely, but intimidating is like, okay, there's a plan B, you know, we don't have to be perfect hikers. We don't have to be perfect anything. I think too, with weather, you said you guys lucked out with weather, but it oh, seems like with so Scotland. Yeah. Like when I was in, I was in, as you know, Ireland and England in March, and it's kind of like hit or miss when it comes to weather. And I really lucked out there. So like to know that if weather did become kind of unbearable, you could hop on a bus or kind of stay in place a little bit longer, or skip something that must be really nice to know. Yeah. And honestly, if, if we had asked for we needed a rest day and we just asked for transportation along with our baggage. I feel like they would have just <laughs> taken us to the next town. But I will say this. I did not want to miss any of it. And mm. I think that's the next thing we should talk about because this is a completely different way to see a country than any other touring that I've ever done. And you would think that 80 miles of walking along, you would start to get bored like okay yeah I've seen the forest yeah I've seen the the lakes I've seen you know but you don't because you're in a place that's so historic the way of life is different for me coming in as a tourist right you know the the farming and all the little villages look different and there's interesting things going on there's cultural things going on you know there's interesting people along the way there's great little landmarks and signs to check out a million photo ops and it did not get boring. It just got more and more beautiful. I, I can't like, it was stunning. Like the last day, sorry, I'm going on here, but last day coming into Inverness, it was like really stunning. And then I just met like six of the most beautiful dogs I've ever met in my life. Oh my God. It's like, you know, I could have been done toast, but like, no, there were these great dogs. I can't even tell you about these dogs. They're so gorgeous. <laughs> All good boys. <laughs> Jamie, do you want to go again? Because the more you're talking about this, the more I want to go. 
oh, I absolutely want to go again. And here's the good news. This is not just a one, you know, a, there's not just this one great Glen way. It's a very famous one. And I certainly would do it again. Honestly, it was amazing. But there's Hadrian's Wall. There's other ways in other parts of England and Wales. And that's, that's, those are traditional walking holidays. And then there's the Camino. Yes, I want, let's do that. It's the Camino de Santiago. The way of St. James would be the English spelling. And Mm -hmm. it technically goes all of these different places. So you could really, you could really go all over the place. The, The major part of it, the most recognized or the most often traveled part of it is in Spain. A good part of it goes through, you know, coastal Portugal. But basically, this is a a religious pilgrimage type of trail. So this is a super historical and for a lot of people has a lot of meaning journey. And I think it would be interesting on so many levels because I think beyond just beyond just seeing the sights and breathing the air and like just seeing all the different soils of this country you're also meeting people who are on very very different types of spiritual journeys sometimes it's an athletic challenge sometimes they are in a life transition sometimes they are like seeking something recovering from something and I can't wait for that experience I say can't wait because I am absolutely going to be doing that Oh my gosh. Yes. No, <laughs> totally. I I'm into let's after this call, let's set something up. No, but so also I, you know, I've never done a trail like this myself. How, how does it work? How do you stay safe and not get lost? How do you know where to go? Are there cairns like in Arizona? How do you, how do you find your way? Yeah. I'm obsessed with them. The great Glen way is marked by a thistle, a purple thistle. I can send you an image of it if you want to post here. Link, link, link it, link it to your podcast page. And it started to just be like my favorite thing to look for. It's beautiful. I happened to get my nails done like that exact same bright, beautiful purple color before. Oh. So I kept like pointing to this this little thistle sign. And of course we saw the thistles in the wild as well. So it each way has its own like special little marker that, you know, people look out for. And the trails were very well marked. And again, these are very curated trails in a certain way. There's, there's at certain points, there's, you know, historical signage and like little placards explaining different nature things or what happened there or cultural things. And I, I think there's different levels of safety, but I felt safe on a number of levels the entire way that we were walking. One is because we, we were in an area that, that it would have been noticed if there was anybody kind of hanging around and up to no good. We didn't see, except for one area, we didn't see any like like in Arizona sometimes you'll see like a, like strange desert encampments where somebody's hanging around and doing yeah whatever they're doing we didn't see that except for once and I think it's really interesting to know that the Great Glen Way is possible because of certain laws that the UK has about 
a right of the a right that the public has to use natural spaces and land. So wow. So you're allowed to move through, you know, the farmers' pastures or along the lakefront or all these places, not randomly or willy nilly, but you and you're definitely not allowed to camp. So when you do see, you'll see like certain signs up that would say, you know, must move, you know, basically like you're allowed to walk through this area no hunting, no camping, like it's not yours to use that way. So a lot of the the land that we met, went through was active agricultural fields with, with, with sheep coming up to say hi. It was adorable and interesting. You definitely had to close a lot of gates behind you. Those were always fun to figure out. So sorry, and, and back to safety, just, you know, we didn't see a lot of that activity and I think it would have been very much noticed. And then there's the safety of just having enough other hikers coming along on the trail. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, it was enough to get your headspace and not see people for maybe an hour or so, but I don't, I don't think, in, you know, I don't think more than two hours went by without seeing another person coming. One day we were kind of kind of leapfrogging another couple of hikers. And again, they had the best dog. I almost remember his name. Oh my gosh, what was it? <gasps> I can't believe I forgot his name. I was obsessed with this dog. But basically to show you how accessible it is, these two 65-year-old women were just like <laughs> hauling past us. Every time we stopped for five minutes, they would go and they'd be a few few miles down the road. And then we would maybe catch up and they'd be having lunch on a rock and then <laughs> ask us again. So, you know, there's just the 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 safety that a little bit of, you know, kind and, and considerate traffic brings and people watching out for each other. Can you say that last sentence one more time, Jace? So there was just the safety of of other people being on the trail, being kind and considerate to each other and watching out for each other. And it made you feel like if anything was amiss, they would say something. If there was something dangerous happening, they would tell somebody at the next town or warn you or stay with you, that kind of thing. That's so lovely. I do feel like, with most hikes that I go on, you know, especially where there's, they're pretty populated. I feel pretty safe because everyone's, you know, you're almost there or, (laughs) Oh, we saw snake up there or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Plus I don't know about snakes, but there's no mountain lions. (laughs) There's no mountain lions in Scotland. So that made me feel better. (laughs) Another question I have is how can, I know sustainability and, you know, caring about the earth is really important to you, to me, to a lot of people and should be. How can hikers minimize their impact on the environment and, you know, leave no trace principles while like, do you have a little trash can? That's a lot. It's a lot of hiking. You're how much stuff are you carrying? Yeah. Are you asking how we go potty on the trail? (laughs) That's part of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously you, you don't leave any food items and certainly no trash items in an in a natural environment it was really nice because you know more often than not we would be dipping into small towns like pretty frequently like not going more than three or four hours without being in a small town if we had anything to offload we could toss it there but mostly we were traveling really light others that might be traveling and backpacking would want to carry more supplies with them but 
I hopefully they would follow leave no trace principles and just just make sure to take that out with them. And then there's the etiquette of being on somebody else's property and it or in property that the public enjoys and trying to, you know, potty responsibly. So, <laughs> you know, it, it just depended on the situation. There were certain places that had public restrooms available and that was always preferable, of course. But, you know, you do what you do just just the same as you would in Arizona. You get away from any running water or streams. You dig a dig a little cat hole and make sure to cover it up great well when you're done. You take your, your teepee with you, put it in a bag, make sure it's sealed up good. Use your hand sani and you're on your way. So, you know, just I think everybody should from time to time review those leave no trace principles because it's kind of it's kind of easy to forget. And the one that I see the most here in Arizona is like the, the clearest spot to, to squat down and pee under a bush is usually in like a nice flat wash, but that's not really what we want to do environmentally. So. Absolutely. And that's really important because so for me, somebody who, you know, I've only gone in long hikes in Arizona, it, my leave no trace is just hold it until I physically might die. My God, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Listen, you don't want it to become an emergency, Madison. Yeah. No, I'll pee, but oh man, I'm just not at, I'm not at the nature level of like, yeah, I'm not there yet. I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get there. What do you, what do you do when we camp for two nights, Madison? I remember one time, I think I had Eric drive me to a bathroom. No. <laughs> Oh man. Uh, I'm my mother's daughter. If anybody listens to my boss podcast, they know that like, you know, I'll I'll rough it to the end of time, but pooping in a hole, I just it's hard. Yeah, for the next next time we talk, we'll talk about the bathroom situations when I lived in Sudan. Like I would much rather, much rather just find a nice forest to poop in. Then that's like it's it's like the solid B plus compared to the places that I've had to use. Oh my gosh. We just need a whole bathroom while traveling podcast episode. Yep. <laughs> These are the things to tell you which Starbucks to go to. <laughs> All right. So you know also continuing to talk about planning and prepping for a hike of of such such a hike in Scotland or in any anywhere of any way through hike is that what we determine the name is called yeah way way hiking or walking holiday is my favorite oh right so festive <laughs> yes yes so if someone's going on a walking holiday and they're planning and prepping how do they go about booking accommodations, transportation? You said you had your luggage, cordage, managing food and water supplies. What are they packing? Yeah. You said you packed light. Yeah. Well, water was easy. And I'm not sure how backpackers would do it, but I imagine it would be generally pretty easy because there's even like public, like potable water springs at certain places along the way. I don't think that would be much of a challenge for us. We just filled up our water at our hotel before we left water quality in in that part of Scotland was just like 
said to be great by everybody. So at least from what I remember, plenty of little convenience stores in most of the small towns or at least one convenience store per small, small town. If we wanted to buy bottled water and a lot of the, so we would get, be given like a hearty breakfast in the morning, which is great. That's a, great about the Airbnb experience. And every single accommodation did come with breakfast the way we booked it. I don't know if you know the traditional English bref- breakfast, but it's like yeah, bacon beans. and beans, tomatoes, potatoes. Like <laughs> so good. Didn't I didn't have the stomach for it every day, but definitely was available and a good good way to start. And then they would offer a sack lunch. I think a couple of them were free. One had to be ordered, but it wasn't expensive. That part wasn't expensive. It's was just a sandwich and a, you know, and some snacks. And so that was fine. It was actually more challenging to make sure that we had access to dinner every night, which we didn't oh. think was challenging at all. So you can imagine getting in a little bit late. Um, and then you're in a small town that might have one or two di- dinner options and they might close by a certain time and you're get, going to the hotel, cleaning up and then literally walking. Last thing you might do is walk, but like a lot of these places you're walking to whatever um, little pub or nice little restaurant. So a lot of our lovely Airbnb type, ho- night, sorry, bed and breakfast house would would be kind of texting us around noon, like, do would you would you like a dinner reservation, love? We can make you one. And we kind of didn't get it at first, and then ended up eating like super late on one of the first, maybe the second night. And we're like, oh yeah, we're gonna have to be a little proactive about this. So then we asked our next next few hosts. They took care of us, and really, I think one restaurant like stayed open later for us just to give us a you know what we wanted. So it was really lovely and so sweet. It was just a great experience. People were kind, like very kind. I heard that on my Ireland and English trip. Everyone's like, are you going to Scotland? Are you going to Scotland? Nicest people, nicest people. Yeah, I couldn't always understand what they were saying. And it seemed like there was a range of accents and I could understand people perfectly. And then like, oh, (laughs) I'm sorry, sir. (laughs) What was that? But it was, it was, they were all you know, they, they, they would ask, Oh, are you a walker? And you know, you're carrying your little walking sticks and you like, yeah, I'm a walker. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. You're really selling this. Not that Uh, I really needed to be sold, but right. Oh, I do want to say, so I, I, there's a Facebook page for the great Glenway. And I found that really helpful. Lots of nice people, even some people wanting to meet up and in different places, but I have some gear recommendations. One is I would take one very lightweight walking stick. And if you're a little bit more mobility impaired or worried about it, bring two and see what works for you. Even if you're very able-bodied and wouldn't normally use a walking stick, I think when you just start to really get to like mile 18, it is helpful. The train again is not that challenging, but I think it just kind of helps keep you stable as you keep going forward. And then people said hiking boots, but I say trail runners, a nice treaded lightweight sneaker, because I think that extra weight on your foot can just can really add a lot of work over that long of a time. That's great advice. Yeah. And then you asked about how we booked it. And I have to say, 
you know, travel buddies are everything. My friend Shannon researched and found the the company. I don't think it would be hard to find this company. I don't have that information, but we price checked the difference between just like booking our own um, accommodations along the way. We didn't want a ton of upcharge or markup. And when we looked at it all, it really made sense to just do it all through a company. It made it so easy and it wasn't I don't, I wasn't noticeably more, more expensive at all. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, I would do it again. Absolutely. I would maybe, maybe take one extra day and not do a 20 mile day. <laughs> <laughs> Break it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, now that you've already done it, you could do extra bus, <laughs> bus breaks if you need it. That, I mean, and so I'm a distance runner. Um, or was and aspired to be again in the future. We all deal with injuries sometimes, but I liked going, taking certain parts at a slow pace to just literally see everything, just see historic bridges and architecture and all these little details. So interesting. But there were sections that I would have absolutely loved to run. And if I did it again, I would probably do a little tiny bit of research and plan to like run one of those days with like a hydration vest and, you know, mm. a sandwich stuffed in there and, and maybe not do it at a super quick pace, but really go ahead and move along and, and trail run it. Oh, that sounds so fun. It's so great. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. All right. So now we're going to transition to one of my favorite parts of the podcast where we ask the two most important questions that are very difficult. I still haven't given a confirmed answer on mine myself, but what is your favorite city you have ever visited this far and why? And what is the best meal you've ever had on a trip or vacation? Oh boy. It's a really hard question. Oh my gosh. Where was the real magic? So favorite place or favorite city? City. Okay. 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 So I, I think that my favorite city Oh gosh. How do you choose Madison? <laughs> I know I right now um I've said Florence, but it's pretty hard because there there's a few like there's a few of those like little coastal towns, Paestum. Yeah. Uh, part of Ischia. But right now, I'm right now in my last last podcast episode. I said Florence is sticking with that at the moment. Okay, this is tough. And gosh, there are so many spe- special places in the world, and it's all the more reason to just get out and see more of them. Um, I almost said Prague, and I almost said Barcelona, and I almost said Khartoum, and <laughs> I almost said Marrakesh. 
But I have to tell you about Copan Arenas, where part of my heart still lives. <laughs> it, it People like say things about Copan like they do about Sedona. It's like, like it's in some kind of vortex or there's an energy thing. I don't know. My experience living there was life-changing. Yeah. I mean, it really was, I think I was 20, 21 or 22. And it's a beautiful town. It's basically built on and with uh, parts of a Mayan city. So that's the ruins of Copan. It's a World Heritage Archaeological Site. And it's a very old town itself. And it's not big and streets aren't named, but there's this beautiful square and it's very lovely. There's mountain views all around. It's in this beautiful like it's up in the mountains, but it's in this like valley that's gorgeous and in the jungle. There's a river that runs through it. And that's all of the geographical things, but really it's just the people. The people there are so kind. And the way of life was really appealing to me. One thing I loved about Central America when I was there is that it's a lot of small business ownership. So family run small, small businesses, small farms and you took to operators and whatever it is but it it tends to just be you know individual families and they treat you as an individual as well and you know so much comes from that but it felt like a town where everybody knows everybody and everybody takes care of everybody and i'm mm. sure that's not always true i don't know but you would see tourists come through which wasn't like a huge a huge bunch of U.S. tourists or European tourists but they would come through and it's almost like they would just like take this huge sigh like ah, and just relax and enjoy socializing and enjoy what the town had to offer it was a really special place and I will never forget it and I, I went back seven years ago I'll probably go back again soon I'm in again. Yeah. <laughs> Very special place. Oh, it sounds absolutely magical. I totally, I, the the thing about like Sedona and the vortexes, I mean, I know those feeling those vibes at Sedona. So I can just only right. imagine in a completely different country with a completely different culture and a, a heritage site. Yeah. Uh, must be incredible. Yeah. But walking through the actual ruins themselves. So, I mean, you know, this is a the the main ruin site is a park but the actual settlement ancient settlement would have spread throughout the entire valley there's stella these carved sculpture standing stones basically in all parts of the valley and the farmers are finding you know structures here and there and it's it's just everywhere so the main but the main very iconic you'd recognize photos of it but the main archaeological park is such a beautiful place but it just gives you this like sense of awe like it just it's like this doesn't I'm not even on this planet anymore this is so this is this is so different and so gorgeous and like just like feels like a vibration and I don't like to overlay my spiritual experience onto another culture's like, like potential spiritual and historical 
objects. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I don't even mean it that way. I just mean like that clear, like it's the, it's the same sense that I get when I walk into Catholic church is mm-hmm. as, as a person who's very much agnostic and it's like an, an honor and a respect and, um, and just a sense of how much humanity has happened there and how many people have come and felt similar things and shared an experience there. I think that's what I mean by the vibe, but I don't <laughs> No, totally. I, I know exactly. I mean, I, I, even on St. Patrick's day, I'm just walking through this gorgeous park by myself. I got a sweet little book about from our book club about the goodness of humanity that reminds me of all our loving women in our book club. And I'm at yeah. St. Patrick's cathedral mm-hmm. and I'm also very agnostic, but it just was, a, it, it was a certain feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it always hits on one level or another. Like, <laughs> yeah, Copanerinus is a special, special place. Okay, speaking of that feeling, uh-huh. that goes back to question two: best oh, meal man. you've had, <laughs> Lord, man. It's so bad because I just, I don't always have the best memory for details, but the, the food culture in New Mexico, the Santa Santa Fe, New Mexico, like impacted me in a big way. Mm. Like, you know, this, I still have this like strong palate for those specific foods. It's not the same as Mexican food, although I love Mexican food, but it's the, it's the pork basole and the hominy and the the green chilies and just the way that everything's done I think that's when I learned to recognize what good tortillas were you know (laughs) right it's different for sure different and yeah and and a lot of that is is because it's a, a mix of really Native American cultural food so the fry bread oh my god and yeah, just just the the way that everything was made. I just absolutely loved that. So yeah, I still I think I <laughs> I think I make pretty good pasole. I don't really I don't want to compare it to anybody's known as pasole, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was kind of my my go-to party party food for years. And I totally, you know, if I see somebody with doing doing the roasted green chilies in the parking lot at Food City or wherever. I like pull the car over and I nab those and put them in the freezer. I still oh, heck yeah. Love those. I actually just had phenomenal pasole lately. Haley, if you're listening to this, your pasole was life-changing. Oh my Dang. gosh. <laughs> Delivered to my house with her cute baby. She's oh, a baby. Baby pasole? Oh. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is this where I shout out to to richardson's for having like the only legit green chilies too in town yeah 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 i don't know if this is appropriate so you can cut it if you want but i also think i should shout out the hash house harriers because hashers are doing you know basically organizing running events for each other for free in like every country in the world or many many of them and when i was thinking back through all the or some of the most fun cities I've ever been to. I was thinking of hashing in Prague and just like, what an amazing experience. 
month that was. Loved Prague, loved the company, loved what they had planned for us and just literally running through Prague at the as fast as I could with my gang of runners was like just so much fun. Oh, I definitely think we need to do a whole hashing episode because the amount of travel that you've done just related to hashing and with hashers is yeah. so cool. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to get into our would you rather portion. Jamie has oh, not God. read these questions. Oh. I love this part. Some of them are happy ones. Some of them are like, uh, both suck. But we're going to start with a good one. Would you rather have a vacation in China or India? I will take both. Thank you. I know. I know. <laughs> happy meaning they're two good options. I'm fascinated by both of those countries, but I would, I would, I, I would go to India. I completely agree. My number one, I don't get me wrong. I love Chinese food. I love American Chinese food. I love authentic Chinese food, but Indian food is like yeah. probably <laughs> up there in my like top. I mean, I had some of the best Indian food of my life in London. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Makes oh, sense. so I just imagine in India, it would be yeah. pretty fire. <laughs> I would, I would really just want to spend all of my time eating. It would be kind of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see some of the sites and cities and temples and, but then just like snacks every five minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We're adding that to our trip docket, James. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Okay, here's a gross one. Okay. Would you rather stay in a luxurious resort that didn't change their sheets or in a motel that was clean but had a weird smell? Resort. resort. Uh, same, same actually. Okay. I, a weird smell is such a deal breaker for me. No, nope. yeah, no. Nope. I just would sleep on top of the sheets. It's fine. I'm pretty sure that we've probably all slept on somebody else's sheets before. Like, I'm pretty sure that that's happened and <laughs> or otherwise. It's fine. I think about this all the time. Actually, this is so gross. But Eric and I, we were in New Orleans for a joint bachelor, bachelor party. And we had to, move our, they moved our flights. It was like during the Southwest saga. Well, you know, the ongoing Southwest saga of changed flights. And so we had to get a last minute hotel. <laughs> There were stains on the sheets and they did not look freshly oh, no. laundered. <laughs> gonna be fun, but um okay. rough. You just gotta check for bed 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 bugs. You gotta do the check. Oh yeah. I was gonna joke that like I date men, so I've slept on dirty sheets. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Would you rather stay in an Airbnb or a hotel? It very much depends, but if it was just me, I would get a hotel. And that's for a few reasons. Hotels can be a little bit more consistent. They can be, depending on the scenario, they can be safer. And I also, you know, 
I see the effect of vacation rentals kind of gone wild in our market. And I think that there's a privilege to travel and that my privilege shouldn't take housing away from people who need it to live in just because I can afford to, to own a home and travel doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to afford to own a home. Does that make sense? Yes, that is all the reasons why I also am team hotel. My other thing about hotels that I like is that there's usually somebody 24-7. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you're getting in at midnight, it's not a big deal. They're usually in a location that's pretty easily accessed to public transportation, not remote. Which, you know, if you're looking for a remote experience, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, but I am a passenger princess. I do not like to drive. I do not want to rent a car. I want somebody to take me to where I want to go. And I don't want to spend a lot of money to get where I have to go. So I'll usually, I'm a train, bus, whatever, girly. If I have to go to a remote Airbnb at a certain time and hope they don't cancel, And Maybe a story for another time, or I could tell you now, we got locked out of our Airbnb apartment building in Portugal one night and there was nobody to help for hours. We actually ended up going to another hotel to sleep. And then one of my traveling companions had to get up at like 3 a.m. and go meet the guy to get into the hotel because there was just a door malfunction and they didn't have enough backup plans in place. So. Oh my gosh, that's so real. I, I remember actually on our Florence trip, just trying to get in with one of those like smart lock key tech thing. But also don't get me wrong. I still love Airbnbs. We stayed in one at our on our honeymoon. We mostly stayed in hotels, but we stayed in one little Airbnb and it was like the perfect little nook and the perfect little spot, you know, under someone else's house but that again brings into the ethics and being an ethical traveler and just what you were talking about is like is that little nook under somebody's house could that have been more housing for somebody in an area where it's absolutely hard to find housing like the Amalfi coast oh potentially but i i think a homestay so say you're you're you know what what you did was one step away from like staying in somebody's spare bedroom homestays can be inconsistent but if you can find a good one it really helps that homeowner and you're probably not really taking away from the housing total because a lot of people don't want to have a consistent roommate, but they're happy and they need a guest room or they need an office, but they're happy to rent it out on the weekends or whatever. So I think that those are great. I've had excellent experiences with homestays as like a young person traveling about, haven't done it as an adult. Yeah, I was gonna say this wasn't a homestay. This was an apartment in a shared building. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Have you ever stayed in a hostel, Maddie? I have not. I don't know. I can't remember if I've talked about that yet, but I have not. There's a reason this is an explicit podcast, and that's because I think stories need to come out. My friend Jen, she actually regrets not telling the story on the podcast. I feel like I missed. I feel like at my age now, I'm too, it's like, I, it's like, I'm too old, at least to do it by myself, like as a solo travel. I don't know. I, I maybe someone can win me over about hostels. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that you just have to do your research. So I'm trying to think the last time I stayed in like a shared, gen, you know, mixed gender shared bunk, bunk, bunk room was at a lovely hostel in Tucson. This is going back a few years. I was doing like a, an outdoor education tra- class there. So I stayed overnight in a hostel and 
I woke up to a man, an older man, I'm sure he was in his 60s, gently playing guitar, which was very nice, but it was 5 a.m. and he was doing it in retribution to the two young men who stumbled in at like, I don't know, 11 p.m. or midnight or something like that. They stumbled in and maybe they made some noise. They didn't wake me up, but you know, whatever. So he was like teaching them a lesson and then had to have a teachable moment conversation with them about that at like five or five 30 in the morning. Well, I'm oh, just absolutely not my night of sleep. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. I can't. And I would say like, that's what, it, so obviously, you know, anywhere that you're shared accommodation like that one concern is men being inappropriate. True story. Like that's just, that's always going to be a concern for me. I have encountered more out of touch and passive aggressive older adults that were, and not to say that I haven't, you know, in, encountered so many people who were just complete gems and teaching me how to live and are my, still my role models to this day. But man, there are some really aggressive hippies out there just not happy to share space with people, but pretending to be happy to share space, share space with people it was not okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out with hostels. I'm out. <laughs> it it might be a great option for you. If you're listening, no judgment. I yeah. just think for me personally, uh, it's not going to work. I think that some of the places that are hostels, but also have those single bedrooms that you can pay like, you know, 20 bucks more for, and that's like the luxury room. You nab that. It's nice to have the community. No problem. I had a wonderful time the last night in Scotland. We were just in Edinburgh and I had a super early flight. So I was keeping myself awake in a common room at this huge hostel. My friends were sleeping up in a, in a, in a private room and I was in the common room and these People came in who were musicians and they just started jamming on the piano and singing. It was the best time ever. It was so much fun. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. It was amazing. Okay. That sounds lovely. We'll never forget it. Okay. Couple more would you rathers. Okay. Would you rather get paid $100,000 to take a two week vacation overseas that is also paid for? Or $100,000 to have a four-week vacation here in Arizona and also do all the things that's paid for. Okay. So in both scenarios, they're paying me $100,000. Yes. And they're paying for everything for that. So like, say you are four weeks in Arizona, so you're, you're going to the Phoenician and getting a facial and they're comping that you're going to dinner. They're paying for that, but, or it's two weeks, but you're somewhere else. Okay. So this is tough only because if I had straight up all that, okay. I think this is a weird question for me, Maddie, because I can do whatever I want whenever I want to currently not that I do goals <laughs> I work I mean I I mean I, I work right I have to 
but like I think you and I have discussed like it's easier for me to because of what my career and my job is to nobody approved my vacation I approved my vacation but it's easier for me to take a a six day or one week vacation than it is for you know maybe every other month I could do that but instead of taking two consecutive weeks of vacation, even once every six months or once a year, that's two, two whole weeks is really difficult. So it's like a tough question to to answer because like the reality is, you know, I would never have that type of like just in the clear vacation, but I choose two weeks somewhere else gladly. Same. (laughs) Uh, I, I think that we need to do some some Arizona exploring in the next few months Maddie girl you got to see all of it I know I'll you know what let's that could be our goal for fall the next few months are not my favorite maybe north north Arizona explore <laughs> in the in the in the summer we go north in the winter we go south it's all good <laughs> perfect perfect yep. yeah. yeah okay I have been I've been I've been loving it though I've been it's been grown on me Good. Okay. Would you rather travel to a new place every year on top of whatever you're like, you know, you just have one consistent week every year yeah. or you, or contrary, you have one consistent place that you will always return to every year. I'm not even like, you already know the answer to this. I, <laughs> I got to catch them all. <laughs> yeah. Same, same, same. <laughs> gotta catch them all <laughs> yeah I mean don't get me wrong I wouldn't be mad you know going to Florence again or many yeah. places again but yeah I just yeah if you're if you're using that precious week it might as well be a new spot so this this year in particular so I, I've set the goal I don't know maybe five or six years ago I set a goal for myself of like three new significant trips travel every year. And that might mean an international destination, or that might mean like a unique thing, maybe, maybe a a city, a new city, if we did it up a bit could help, but not like a weekend endeavor. That's not going to cut it. Uh, (laughs) So I've kept that up aside from the pandemic years. And I was like, so grateful that I had traveled that much in 2019. Cause when, you know, it gave me something to kind of look back at and feel sunny about when we were kind of stuck during 2020. But I I noticed that I was kind of going back to some of the same like social events, camp outs, hashes in other cities, that kind of thing. And I really decided that this year, everything I do is like really going to be focused on new stuff. So aside from going to upstate New York for a wedding, of course, I'm really pretty focused on, on going new places this year. We'll see how I feel next year. Maybe I'll want to go to the familiar. Love that. I don't know. I, I think what we're going to India next year, the trail in Spain. <laughs> we're doing so much. I can't, I'm so glad that we filled up our calendar. Oh, and you're going to come hashing with me in New Zealand next oh, week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm in. Actually, I just got, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, podcast yet, but I'm obsessed with 
obsessed with going.com i have their little annual subscription and those new zealand flights are looking pretty good right now from lax okay i gotta look at them i just booked, yeah. i just booked travel today do you want me to tell you about it yeah i booked a flight out on september 1st from lax to tokyo for $452, which they said is high for that route. So that is, oh my gosh, let me pull up the airway. Shoot. So I actually know this exact route because I've been stocking it forever. We are booking that same route for next March, April. Love it. I can't yeah. wait to steal all the places you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's Zip Air, which, which yep. is just recently started this route and I looked I saw October for like 282 and that's for one way and it was about the same coming back or is it you know we saw a lot of flights for about 350 coming back they do charge a little bit more for like seat assignments and really any carry-on baggage is their weight limit is very low so you do you'll pay a little bit more than that but really for that long of a travel leg it's it's great and it's a really great option yeah I think even there they have some like almost economy laid out seats you can get which is like pretty unheard of like because usually it's just you got to go business but they even had some like discount lay down options yeah on some flights I think they do yeah which is pretty cool but I mean you and I have done what 13 hour flights like 11 hours straight to Tokyo. Like, no problem. I'll do that. No problem. That economy. (laughs) No, I, as you may know, I just booked Thailand for November. Um, Also pretty cheap. Not that cheap, pretty cheap. And that flight is pretty long, but I, I, I think even then, I think it's, I think it was like, I think it's like, it's not direct. So that's why it's longer. But I think, I think the direct leg was like, 14 hours and you know I just did that that Barcelona flight and was sick so yeah oh yeah did you check Thai Airways so I just know I just noticed today that they're one of the one of the airlines that Google flights does not show results for so just keep that in mind oh yeah no yeah I mean our 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 flights I think were like 600 bucks so nice love it love it exciting all right jamie well one more question okay would you rather live a month in venice italy or rome italy venezia really yeah i don't know why i do not know why okay my only reason so i i'm going rome obviously i've already been there that's not my reason my reason is it is it's not central, but it's kind of central and that you can get so many places like from Rome, like you get to yeah. Malta real quick. I mean, but also Venice, you can get to other countries quicker. So, so I guess Venice, it's kind of good train around, but I think Rome, you could jump flights a little easier, maybe. Yeah. I mean, but in, like at the end of the day, you take a two hour train to Venice and then train around. So it, they're, it's a win-win. They're win-wins. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to do much more research and I don't, I I don't really know. Oh, wait, does, so Rome has a soccer team. Does Venice? I don't know. I want to see more soccer. 
Ted Lasso got me, man. Like, and then we. Oh went- yeah, I, I was gonna say. Yeah. I I'm not with you there, but <laughs> I, I need to I need to get back into Ted Lasso. I only watched one episode, so don't cancel me, guys. After you hear me say that, and I loved it, but I just haven't followed through. No, to be fair, I before Ted Lasso was a thing, I really enjoyed watching the soccer matches here in Phoenix. That's Phoenix Rising. They just moved their stadium and. I got good intel that they actually allow tailgating. So the stadium is now right off the light rail. It's right by Walter Station Brewery. Do you know where that is, Mads? Yeah. Okay. Close to the airport. And so really central, which is way better than it has been for the last couple of years. And they allow tailgating so you can like hang out, pregame and cook in the parking lot just big party and I always recommend just like go be a supporter you're go to the supporter section that's where they're going with the big drums and the chants and the smoke bombs it's really fun oh my gosh that's amazing yeah it was really fun to watch Barcelona play as well it was great a great match well, that's amazing. You're amazing. I'm so glad this worked out and I had you on the pod. Thanks, Maddie girl. Of course. I it made my travel bug so much worse. I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> you got more places on the list. Let's go. Yeah. Amen. I'm manifesting what you said. I'm able to just do what I want. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way because because I obviously have like heavy responsibilities. Yeah. All of yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. She works. Like she I, works so hard. So <laughs> like if I just decided I wanted to take the space, I could do that. So it's not you know, it's like yeah, it's just it kind of the nobody can just give me a month off of work. <laughs> I have to give it to myself. <laughs> yeah. Hard to do. <laughs> Harder to do than you think. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Jays. And we will have you on the pod soon because we still have so much to talk about. So much. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Don't forget to follow Lobby Travel Co. on Instagram. Visit lobbytravelco.com to book your next trip. And remember, life is too short to eat bad food on vacation. If you have the urge to go out and book a trip after listening today, just say Lobby. We'll see you next week.